If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1875 podcast. Um, I know that a lot of people have been highly anticipating this particular one because we're speaking to um, an absolute lover's legend, one of our Hall of Fame inductees, um, talking to Mr. Brad Friedel. And uh, I'm happy to say that Brad joins us now on the line. Hi, Brad. Hey, Anne, how are you doing? We're doing great over here. The family's good, thankfully, all healthy. How, how are you doing over there and your family? Yeah. Uh, you know, thankfully, um, that's the, the same, and we've had uh, an uptick in cases again in certain areas because uh, I think a lot of parts of the country have opened a little too quickly, and we had the a lot of uh, demonstrations recently with um, with some issues with the with the police and the government. So it's been a, a hectic 2020, that's for sure. Yeah, it's been a hectic time over in the States and it's not been too far behind here as well. We've had a lot of protests and I know that a lot of people are very concerned that we're opening things too quickly. And of course, the Premier League and the Championship have come back. Um, yeah. We've actually had a, a few questions of people asking you if you want to come back over here and play. Um, because we've got a, a situation at Rovers at the moment where some people aren't too happy with the goalkeeping situation. I don't know if you keep across Rovers' current situation, but what, what do you make of... Um, our current goalkeeper situation and, and are you interested in going back and putting your gloves on? <laughs> would I be interested? Of course I would. I wish I was younger. Um, I, you know, I loved uh, loved every minute of my time with, with Blackman, that's for sure. Uh, and there's nothing better than there's nothing better than playing. That's uh, that's for sure. So, um, but I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid for Rovers fans. I'm a little too old to put the gloves on anymore <laughs> to play to any any type of standard like I used to. Um, it's it's a um, you know with regards to the goalkeeping situation it's a it's a tough one for me from afar to to really uh, you know to really have um, a big opinion on it I I think uh, the staff at Rovers is very it's very good and very astute they see everyone on a day to day basis I would also I would also probably say that signing players right now um, and I know. I know they're out of the signing window and things of that nature, but it's not going to be the easiest of things to do. And, um, you know, they, I think, um, I think you're just going to, the fans are just going to have to persevere and hopefully what they, what they have on their books right now is going to be good. It's good enough. I know time's running out to somehow, some way get up in the playoff positions, you know, which I think we'll both admit will be difficult right now. But, um, I, you know, without being there on a day-to-day basis, it really wouldn't be fair of me to go in uh, to anything too personal on the, uh, the goalkeepers at the club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so are you joining us from whereabouts in the States are you living now at the moment? Uh, um, well, I'm, I'm between Boston and Miami. So right now I'm down in, uh, down in Miami. So I'm joining you for some, from some sunshine. <laughs> Thankfully, the sunshine's reappeared over here as well at the moment. Um, but so you didn't grow up in in either of those places. I don't think you grew up in Ohio. Is that right? Yes, I grew up in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, until I was uh, till I was eighteen years old, and then I moved out to Los Angeles and went to UCLA for about two and a half years, and then I went over to the UK. So was it always going to be soccer for you growing up, or was it um, a between multiple sports? No, it was. It was, I was uh, very late with regards to uh, to thinking it would be soccer. You know, especially in today's terms, and even what they have in the United States, there was no professional league at the time that I was coming up through the game. Um, I I always thought I'd probably play another sport in college. I was recruited to play at universities in basketball, tennis, and ice hockey. I um, I uh, I was also recruited, but not that highly, um, not that heavily for soccer. Um, lucky I went to UCLA and from that point um, UCLA had a tremendous program and back then it was it was very similar to what the under 23 league would be um, right now in the Premier League all the best players back then that was uh, our version of a youth academy but it was a little bit later in the years because you would go and it'd be between 18 and 21 years of age really maybe up to 22 
playing uh, playing there. And I just I was fortunate enough to make the Olympic team, played in '92 Olympics, and Nottingham Forest uh, saw me and scouted me, and um, and I was able to sign, not get a work permit, but uh, but sign with them. And then I came back and forth to the U.S. a few uh, a few times. Um, tried to get not enforced, denied. Tried to get to Newcastle, denied a permit. Sun, uh, Sunderland denied a denied a work permit. Um, went to Bronby, went to Galatasaray, and then finally, um, after I'd come back to Columbus Crew for the inaugural season of MLS, uh, Liverpool were able to uh, secure my work permit. Yeah, I think that a lot of maybe younger fans won't won't have realised that you know the US never had a. a you know, MLS is actually relatively new in, in that way, that you obviously fell in between the gaps of the NASL and the and the MLS. Um, I think it was all part of the US getting the 94 World Cup, wasn't it, that the, the US said that, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll create the MLS as well. Um, so did you know then that when you decided upon soccer, when you went to UCLA, and um, I know that you had a, a good relationship with Tim Harris, who was... Um, you know, part of, I think he was part of the setup at UCLA, wasn't he? And did you know that you meant that you were going to have to leave for Europe if you're going to pursue a career as a goalkeeper? I mean, at, at first when I went out there, um, I, I didn't even know the amount of uh, youth international players that UCLA had. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't know all the qualities uh, that Ziggy Schmidt had. I mean, he was, he was one of the best U.S. coaches uh, of all time. Um, and when I got out there, I saw it was... It, it was incredibly competitive. And then when I started traveling the globe with the Olympic team, um, it, that's when, so I guess uh, 1990 on, you know, between 90 and 92, that's when I started to get in the itch. And when we'd play against the top teams and top players and youth national teams from around the world, you know, I've, I've quickly found that I could play with them, you know, yeah. and, and so you start to gain a little bit of confidence. And, um, and then from that point, from that point on, it was just kind of luck, luck um, and hard work. You, you, you always need luck to get that opportunity to, um, to shine. So um, it, uh, a lot of it was, was fortune, you know, and a lot of it uh, was determination and, and hard work. And, and that, boy, I, per, I persevered to get in, uh, in the Premier League. And then, when I, and then when I got to Liverpool, things didn't work out. But then as it turned out, that was the, uh, the best thing for uh, myself and Blackburn because I was able to, uh, to go there. So the best thing for us, speaking as Rovers fans. Um, so yeah, like you say, it wasn't really straightforward at all. Um, all the work permit restrictions meant it was very difficult for you to come and work here. You've, you've listed off a lot of the teams that were very interested in you and wanted to sign you. Um, that must have been incredibly frustrating for you. Was it just a case of there's nothing you can do and kind of get your head down? And what was it specifically that our government kept saying is not good enough. Is no. it played for mistakes? No, it was mean. <laughs> it was. By the way, I'm going to say this. He's a he's a very good friend of mine now. Um, over the years, but Gordon Taylor was the one. Oh, yeah. uh, they said that yeah, that he very much opposed me, and it wasn't a personal vendetta. He was trying to protect the current players, and they had a, a strict set of criteria on foreigners and people that were especially out. Um, well, the European, it wasn't even the European community at the time. Um, I don't, I don't believe maybe it was, I'd have to go back. Um, I think the Bosman ruling had just occurred, but I, I don't think of the European community. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the, uh, the years on that, but uh, I was outside of the European community. I was definitely outside of the British Isles and uh, I had to play in 75% of my national team games the, for the previous two seasons. And as a 21, 22-year-old, that was really hard to accomplish. So I kept getting denied. I, yeah, I kept getting denied based on that because that, as more people were coming into the league, and I believe that's what it, now that I'm talking, um, that's what it was. The European community opened up the free travel, free uh, working movement for anyone inside the uh, EU. And Gordon Taylor was really trying to help out the, uh, the British players. Um, by limiting uh, the, the amount of non-EU players that could get in, setting very strict criteria. And with the quality goalkeepers that the United States always seem to churn out, holding down the number one spot as a young player was always going to be quite difficult for your sports. Um, yeah, and, and if you think, I mean, look, when I came to Blackburn, I mean, there were many eyebrows raised at that time because things mm. in Liverpool 
didn't go stellar. Uh, we had John Bylan, who's an outstanding goalkeeper on the books. Alan Kelly, an outstanding goalkeeper on the books. Alan Miller, uh, or yeah, Alan Miller, they've just been player of the year at West Brom um, on the books. And it, and then uh, their, you know, Graham Sunas was signing me and there was a lot of eyebrows raised back then, but just look at the, you know, the, the, the quality of goalkeepers that were at a championship club at the time. Uh, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't easy to to get into these uh, into these clubs at any, at any level. So I, I never, I, I was upset with Gordon at the time, but we since uh, we've since mended our wounds with each other, and we're and we're good friends today. Excellent. All right. So you're doing very well at preempting my questions, but I will um, I'll come back to the time that you came to Robbins because you've you've kind of you've preempted that. And yes, it was. I remember as a fan. Um, really wondering why um, Sunes had signed you, but of course you worked under him at Galatasaray. Is that right? And so, how did yeah, that? Yeah, that what was it great. like? What was it like playing? I mean, it's famously very fierce um, playing out in Galatasaray. Did you find it a very good experience for you playing there? Yeah, I did. It was it was outstanding. Um, I think culturally, for a kid that was from Cleveland, Ohio, to be able to live in uh, in Istanbul, that taught me that the I guess 16 or 18 months that I had out there probably taught me the most in life uh, of any of any certain time. Um, had some wonderful friends from out there, and I, I think it's it's also remarkable to see how um, the propaganda goes around the world and people perceive uh, the, the Turkish culture, and it's completely different than when you live there. Um, mm. The support the supporters at the football matches aren't. It is it's what you see is what you get, and they are maniacal. That's that's for sure. And if you can play, if you can play with the pressure in those games, you can play just about, uh, just about anywhere. Um, but Gra- Graham, for me, um, was uh, was very easy to play for. If you worked hard uh, and you gave your all, he uh, he looked after you. That's that's what he respected. You know, whether you're in the starting eleven or not was um, uh, was neither here nor there. Um, but he would treat you very, very well if you worked hard. It was the players that didn't work hard and the players that didn't give an honest effort. That's where he had his uh, his uh, short fuse, and he did have he did have a short fuse. Mm. Um, but but he was uh, for me in my career, he was wonderful to play for. As was Mark Hughes. Those were the two managers, obviously, that I had at Blackburn. Yeah. And was it? So we'll talk about the East Lancashire derby when we when we get to that stage. But what was it like playing in like? It must have been really um, interesting playing in the derbies in, in Istanbul. Yeah, the first the first one as well. We lost three one, and I was at fault for one of the goals. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I never, I had never had abuse like that in newspapers and on TV right. like I did that next that next day. Uh, you said you were early twenties at that point as well. I, I would have been by the time mm-hmm. I got because that was after. Um, that was after Brunby, so that would have been, I think, 95, 96, maybe 90, yeah, 94, 95, or 95, 96 in that, in that range. So I would have been 24 yeah. um, at the time. So, um, oh, I got, I, I got absolute uh, dog's abuse the next day. It, it was remarkable. Um, and you quickly, you quickly develop the skin of leather, that's, that's for sure. And um, and we never lost. To, we played Fenerbahce three more times that year because in the in the cup they were home and away games, um, and never lost to them again. And um, I think I only conceded one goal in the remaining three games, and we won the cup uh, at Fenerbahce's ground. So it was all good after that. I learned my lesson that first game. That's for sure. Was it? Were you there when Sunes planted the flag? Yeah, I played in that game. Oh, was, uh, that's such yeah, an iconic yeah, that, image. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's gone into folklore there. Yeah. So um, that thick skin that you developed there must have been pretty handy when you then got a move to one of the biggest clubs in the UK. Um, you, you mentioned already that your time at Liverpool maybe didn't go as successfully as you might have liked. I think it's like 30 appearances over over three years. But still, like especially looking back now and seeing what Liverpool have just done, do you still feel proud that you, you played for Liverpool? And, and what was it like playing for that club at the time? Yeah, well, I supported Liverpool uh, growing up. I mean, obviously from afar, and yes, it was it was an Basically, incredible. Basically, you're a glory hunter, Brad. Is that what I'm hearing? Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, when I was at ten or eleven, uh, my my dad took me to a game on a family trip to London, and that's oh, and I ended up 
but you know, following them, following them from uh, that point on. And I, um, um, you know, to get the opportunity to sign for clubs, you know, like uh, like Liverpool, that you supported and Galatasaray, and people don't realize how good, how well Blackburn was run uh, mm. during the time that I was there. And we'll get, in, I'll get into that in a little, in, in a little bit. Um, but when you have the ability, when, when you have the chance to uh, play with these um, uh, with these clubs, it, it is it is something. Now, what I've what I learned, and I guess I learned my lesson at Liverpool more than any other club. Uh, first impressions are huge; right. they really are. This is one of the reasons why I admire David De Gea um, at Manchester United because the first impression that people had of him was not a good one um, when he first started there for the first six months, and after. After that, he became one of the Premier League's best, best ever goalkeepers, you know, and, and he was young when he went through his stage, you know, and at Liverpool, my first uh, three or four months there, it was just the most inconsistent I had ever played in my career. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a nervous character. I don't know why I wasn't, I wasn't in awe of the situation. I was playing for, um, you know, an incredibly uh, Enormous uh, traditional club that uh, that a lot of people on the on the globe would, would, would die to play for. Um, it was all exciting, and I just wasn't consistent. And I think that that really uh, put the seed of doubt into Roy Evans's mind. And then um, by the time Gerard Houllier came in with Roy as co-managers, there was a lot of upheaval at the club. And I, for whatever reason, I just couldn't get my um, I, I just couldn't get my foot in there. And by the time I, I really started um, uh, playing, you know, training well and, and playing well when I, when I had the opportunity to play, um, they had spent, uh, they'd just gone out and bought Sander Vesterveld. We're looking at um, another, another goalkeeper to come in and I needed to go play. And they turned down quite a few offers for me to go play um, one abroad and two or three in the Premier League at the time. And then finally, they, they okayed Blackburn because Blackburn was in the championship, I believe. And, and I really needed to go play. It was definitely not a, a case if I wanted to leave Liverpool. It was, a more, it was just a case that I had to to go play football. Knowing that Graeme Souness was the manager of Blackburn as well, did that mm. kind of have an impact on your decision as well? And, and did you know kind of that you, you would be going down to the championship, but there was a very good chance that you would be playing Premier League football again pretty soon? Mm. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with Graham being there. Um, I, I think most of it had to do with Graham being there. To be right. to be quite honest, um, you know, at the it, it took a strong manager to bring me in. As I said, there was a lot of good goalkeepers on a on a team that had won the Premier League and then re- relegated shortly after, and were now in tenth position. You know, finished tenth position or whatever it was in the championship yeah. the, um, the season before, and when. Uh, when Graham brought us in, I mean, he brought in a lot of um, what what were Premier League players. He brought in Stigby Ornaby, brought Craig Short, he brought in Henning Berg, he brought in myself. John Curtis was there. Lucas Neal came in there. Um, although Stephen Reed was from uh, Millwall, so Lucas, they were, prim- they were Premier League um, uh, quality quality players. Uh, David Dunn was already there. Damian Duff, outstanding player, was ar- was already there. Matt Jansen was already there. Was a tremendous striker. Um, before his uh, before his accident, um, and then uh, when we were in the Premier League, he brought in you know Graham brought in two guys, but in the Championship, we had uh, and, and when he brought in Alan Mon, um, he did it. He did a wonderful job of assembling the team, um, and it, it was even though we were in the Championship, we were we would walk in pretty much every day, and we were a Premiership squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think people could see that, and they climbed the table um, from. You know that October November time or whatever, or maybe September. I can't remember the exact date that I that I signed, and, and we flew up the table. You know, and yeah, then I, I think kind we of had a little uh, stuttering start to the season. And there, I know from speaking to Craig and John over the last couple of weeks that they they still never really doubted that they were going to make it. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a stuttering start. Did Graham guarantee you first that you were going to be first choice? Um, even though we had Alan Kelly and John Fyland. And John Fyland won our Player of the Season award. Yeah, yeah, correct. No, Graham doesn't work like that. Graham, no. I mean, with Graham, you can't, um, he wouldn't promise anybody anything. You have to earn everything you get. Now, um, he, I knew by signing with Graham because of our success we had in Turkey, 
um, that he would give me every opportunity to play. But then, it, then it's up to me. Like, I, if I was playing poorly, there's no way I would have kept the team, or you know, kept the starting spot in the team. Um, but uh, you know, when I go back to my comment with Liverpool, you know, it's first impressions. I, the very first impression people have had of me at Blackburn, um, there was only one or two that would have seen it. I was invited to a game. I was up in the director's box, and it was announced that uh, it was in the paper that I was going to be signing. And there were two fellows sitting in front of me, and they were, and they were, they didn't know I was behind them. And this, and they were saying, "We don't even, we don't even need this this new chap. We've got fantastic goalkeepers. What a waste of money! What's Graham Sunis doing?" And uh, <laughs> when I was the leaving, I said, "She was a new chap today." Yeah. So <laughs> then I was, and I and I stood up at the end of the game. And I said, "Nice to meet you guys," and they were stunned. They felt they're like, "Oh no, he's heard everything that we said." You know. So I knew, I knew what the what may, what most people thought uh, at that time, um, you know. But the for the first game was a, was Wolves at home, and I made a couple of good saves. We won one nil, you know. And then we went on a bit, we went on a good run of um, uh, of a lot of good results. And then uh, when we beat Burnley away two nil, then you know that kind of that you know put some uh, solidity to it, where the the fans then were happy with the signing, you know. But first impressions are so big. They they really are, you know, because if you go in and you and you do terrible at first, uh, the, you're you're up against it because there's not a lot of leeway these days in professional sports. I imagine, especially not as a goalkeeper, when you know obviously there's only one that can play. Um, let's talk yeah. about that squad then. Um, you, you mentioned about you know Graham Sinness building a, a great team. Um, the defence that season was Singer Bjornaby, Craig Shaw, Henning Berg, and John Curtis, and pretty. Um, you know, that was a pretty standard back four and they played the majority of the games. Tell us a little bit about that defence and was that a good defence for you to, to have in front of you? Yeah, really good, especially in the in the championship back in that time. With, uh, I mean, Henning was, Henning was good in the air, but Shorty was outstanding in the air. You know, and, and you had to have somebody like in, in a lot of those championship games um, where you're playing – the weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, and people are getting tired, and uh, and a, a lot of uh, a lot of direct football was being played, especially in the towards the Christmas time. Um, it was important to have someone like Shorty in there to be able to uh, to head head the ball away. Um, Stig was very experienced. Um, John Curtis was uh, was on the younger side, but very experienced and not phased by anything. Um, and Henning. Uh, coming from Manchester United, he was he was very and, and you know Blackburn Man United and Blackburn. He was very comfortable with the club, very comfortable on the ball. He was a he was a good leader. And and one player that that, that uh, left out going into the midfield. I mean Gary Flitcroft, and it's, it's a real shame that um, that he had the knee problems that he did because uh, it, it it did you know as as the years went on you know, hurt his mobility a little bit. But he was a tremendous captain. I don't know if I, you know. I hope in the um, you know down, the Rovers fans understand how good he was as a captain because uh, he he um, he was hard on players, um, but he also gave praise when it was uh, when it was due. He kept the squad together. Um, he had a difficult uh, a difficult thing to deal with when two guy came into the club, um, and and he was still he was a great pro. It really was, and um, and, and he helped during that. Uh, he helped in huge ways during that championship run, getting back up to the Premier League. Yeah, he chipped in with the odd important goal as well. Um, I think he is a little bit underrated by Blackburn fans. I know that there's a certain hardcore section of the fan base that really do love Gary Flickcroft, and he made a lot of appearances for the club, but I do feel like kind of he's overshadowed a little bit by two guy, but um, good to hear that you really respected him and, and I know he also really helped David Dunn alongside him and Damien Duff and Matt Janssen. I know him and Matt Janssen had a good long-standing relationship. They they worked together at Chorley as well um, later on in their careers. Yeah. And Matt mentions him a lot in his book. Um, I don't yeah. know if you've read Matt Janssen's book, but he talks about Gary Flickcroft and the relationship that he had with him a lot. And that obviously helped Matt after his accident. But just tell us a little bit about the talents of Dunn, Duff and Janssen, did you feel that what if you guys could keep it tight at the back that you, they were just going to win matches for you? Yeah, and they were. They were match. All three of them were match winners. You know, Yanny and Duffer's left foot and then Dunny had um, 
you know, back in the championship game, he was very, very uncharacteristic of what your typical championship player was because he had, he had oodles of skill. Um, he had a great strike on him, a good free kick in him. Um, but he also, he did not mind going into the tackle. You know, and that, that's, that wasn't easy to see um, and easy to find where you have those players that are really skillful and also like to go into the, uh, or maybe not like, that's the wrong word, but would. They wouldn't be afraid of going into the tackle. And I, I also think with regards to, uh, you know, maybe not uh, Yanni as much because he was purchased, but when you have um, when you have Duffer there um, at, at the younger ages and then Dunny being a local local lad, it, it's it's really good for the fan base and the public to see the, the local boys and the academy boys come good. Um, and they were excited. I mean, Duffer was Duffer was up there with, um, you know, I, I could have just below the, the Giggsies kind of thing. He was mm-hmm. it, just out of nothing. You could be playing poorly, defend a, defend the corner, it gets headed out or punched out, and it lands at Duffer's feet, and he could travel 80 yards and score or set mm-hmm. up a goal. He was he, he was superb at that. And, um, you know, he, had a, he always looked tired, and he was never tired. Like he, he would always, he would always have the hand on his hip. Looks like he's breathing heavy, and the ball would pop to him, and off he'd go again. Um, he was, he was, he was special. And Yanni's left foot, very, very difficult to uh, to save his shot. To be honest with you, um, uh, especially that, um, you know, going before that 2002 World Cup again. If he didn't get injured, um, you know, he, yeah. he would have been right, right, right there. He, he was, he, he was on a really good crest at the time. Did you feel that when he came back? after that accident that could you tell kind of in training or, or was it just in matches that you could tell it wasn't quite the same for him? I think everyone could. It was, a, it mm. was a shame and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not a doctor obviously. Mm. And I would never uh, know what it's like to go through that kind of head trauma. Um, but yes, I think it's there, there to see that that affected him um, in, in, in huge ways because he, he just, he wasn't the same uh, he wasn't the same after that as a uh, as a player. It is a shame, and obviously he shone in that championship season, probably brighter than than almost anybody, um, being our top scorer. We got a couple of very important game uh, goals in games. Let's talk a little bit about the build up to the East Lancashire Derby games because it was actually the the longest period that we'd gone without playing Burnley. They'd struggled in the lower leagues, and obviously we'd been winning championships, which was great at the time. But then we ended up in the same division together for the first time in 17 years, I think it was. And I know from being a fan that I, I was actually very nervous about those games because I thought that we were the bigger club, we were the better team, but that's often negated in derby games and I was worried that Burnley would come up and, and show us just, you know, get the better of us somehow. Did you feel could you feel the, the fan the difference in the fans on the lead up to those games and did you see that as an important game for for you to establish yourself in? Because your first one came, I think, a couple of months after you'd arrived. Yeah, and they um the first one was at Turf Moor, and I remember walking out before the game onto the field, uh, Mark Hughes, Henning, and myself, and we didn't know what um, – Mark Hughes was standing there. He's like, he, he just says to me, he goes, come, he goes, come on, let's go check out what this is all about. Yeah. And we walked out, and, we walked down, and it, was a, it was a real atmosphere because where, where I grew up and we came from, I, I didn't know the, um, the rivalry, you know, that it was that, that it was that hatred, that it was that big of a – of a derby and the atmosphere was absolutely superb and that turf more that was a hard game we won two nil and i remember um they had andy payton at the time who i knew from celtic training there years ago i mean he put a fair few studs in my shins and on my thighs that day mm-hmm. um it was um it was a good victory it was a hard victory probably a horrible game to watch i uh, said so i don't i don't think there was a blade of grass on uh, on the pitch but it was um it was a good solid of a hard fought victory and, and that uh, catapulted us on to um to grind it beat not just being a flare club when we played at home but um we had this resilience about us that season and that's where I, i'll go back to the gary flickcrofts and uh craig shorts Th- those are the guys that would carry you through in those games mm-hmm. you know the hor- the balls you know the horrible ones that flicked onto the back post and shorty's heading away and getting killed at the same time you know, elbows in the face and things, you know, things, it was just, uh, they were, they were prepared to do, uh, to do that work. When we came back to our place, um, I, I believe it was six, six nil or six one. Five, five nil it was. 
five, five nil. Yeah. Um, by that time, I think the wind were out, uh, out of Burnley sails and well within our sails. You know, we were, we were clicking at that time. That was, that was us on our way to promotion. And we were playing, we were playing against teams with great deal of confidence and it didn't matter Derby or not. Um, we were, we were performing very, very well. Well, good to keep the two clean sheets though in those games. We haven't actually we haven't actually beaten them now, I think, in nine years. So um looking forward to the next one so maybe we can turn the tables on them. Um yeah, talk about us flying then to promotion. You say we were playing with a lot of confidence. At what point did it get nervous or did it did it never get nervous for you? Well, the nerves not it wasn't playing. The mm-hmm. nerves were the days in between the games, you know, and especially towards the end of the season when you know, I think Bolton had a game in hand and they were playing. I remember watching it on, on Delhi and they lost it like one nil or three nil or something of that nature. But that like not being in control of anything and watching it when Bolton lost, that was like a huge relief. Um, is that, that meant um, that when we, I believe you can go back to the, 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 um, the games, but I believe it was that game. And shortly after there, we just needed um, to beat the Preston and we were up. Um, so, so um, yeah, it was um, no, it was good. It, it was the whole the whole season um, really brought the, the fans together, really brought the, brought the players together, and it also allowed uh, Graham to have um, a little bit of money to spend for the next season. But but the great thing that Graham and uh, and John Williams and Tom Finn and those guys did was was the players that they went and got on loan or purchased uh, had Premier League experience or a vast majority of them. So and then when he when he did add the uh, the Lucas Neils and the Reedies and so that they they were up the quality for the Premier League. So um, and then John and Tom always provided the managers with uh, with tremendous strikers. So we Coley and Yorkie and then um, you know Yanni obviously and uh, Craig Bellamy and Benny McCarthy and Roque Santa Cruz and up and they always provided a uh, Jason Roberts came in uh, you know a, a top level striker that can score goals. Um, which you're not always going to play well, and you need that guy to be able to bang the goals in at the other end. So you mentioned earlier about um, people forget maybe how well run Blackburn was as a club. Just take us back. I mean, just for just for uh, fun, compared to our current situation, um, take us back to those times. And what do you mean by the fact we were a well run club? Do you, was, did you sense that before coming in? And and what, obviously you were here a very long time, really. Um, how did that manifest itself within the squad at, at the time? No, I didn't sense it um, too much because um, when I first started talking, Sir, uh, Sir Jack Walker was still was still alive. Um, so I didn't really know what was going to happen, like, how well run the club was. I didn't really know who ran the club um, when, you're, when you're not there on a day-to-day basis. Um, but when you quickly go there and you see you're in the championship, but you still see the facilities, you still see you know how you travel, you see how the amount of staff is allowed to is, is employed, the quality of staff that's employed, quality of players that are allowed to be brought in, you quickly see that it's a well-run club. Um, after uh, after getting to you know being at the club and getting to know John and Tom a little bit and going in and speaking to them with regards to negotiations and. Uh, things like that and they explain how the how they do their purchases and how they do their budgets um and you know that's for them to tell you if you if uh, they want you to um it was just an impeccably run club that where the club would never have been in financial difficulty um any loans that they had outstanding um, would have more than been able to be paid off um but with always having a competitive a product on the field and it's not easy to do at the um at the uh, the so-called smaller clubs when you're trying to battle against the big boys and you look at our record especially at home against manchester united um yeah. look at our you know look at our record in the eight and again you can correct me if i'm wrong in the eight seasons there uh, we had a promotion and i think we qualified for europe five of the other seven years is that correct I don't know the exact numbers myself, but, but we were but some, obviously we were regu- we finished sixth twice, I think, and obviously we had the, we'll talk about the Wellington Cup in a second. We'll qualify for Europe that yeah. way as well. So yeah, yeah. so we, yeah, so we were there, I and mean, that was the first year back of the Premier League. Cause, so yeah. we win the Worthington Cup and qualify, and we finished in tenth. 
and I think that was the first year for a while that all three promoted clubs uh, stayed That's in the right. Premier League. That was Bolton, Fulham, and us. So, um, you know, the championship was 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 good, full of quality, um, as was proven with three clubs out of twenty staying in the Premier League the following year. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I think um, those three clubs. That, 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 I mean, it was seen when we had the promotion race that Fulham were Fulham were an exceptional side. They had a lot of money behind them as well. But um, us and Bolton fighting out for that second position. And I think it's quite clear the season afterwards that we all were very good teams. Although, when I look back at the results um, of that first season back in the Premier League, we went through December, January and February, only winning two games out of 12 and slipping into the... We actually slipped into the relegation zone at that point and then came the Wervington Cup final. So let's talk about that day and then subsequently if that actually if you felt that that gave us the big lift that we needed um going into that final we'd beaten Sheffield Wednesday in the playoff semi-final in the semi-finals um, relatively comfortably over two legs and then going into the final we had a couple of suspensions I think Craig Shaw got himself suspended for the final and um, yeah we Mark Marquis played in midfield yeah, was absent. So um, it was a little bit of a makeshift team. I think Niels Eric Johansson came into central defence, and um, I know that going into the final, I was worried but quietly confident that we'd beat Spurs. But Spurs were being talked up in the media as being virtually a shoe in for that final. And I know they were heavily odds on with the bookmakers. Did you feel, and did the squad feel, that you had just as good a chance as Spurs did? Um, going out onto the Millennium Stadium that day. Yeah, I, I always felt with um, anyone that was in our team that we had the ability to win. Um, we had a we had a good squad. You know that. It, sometimes you never know when when players are. Um, you have to move players around in positions and things of that nature. But you know, Mark Mark Hughes is the type of player that you could put in any position. It's not going to phase him. No, you know that yeah. it, it's. Um, you know, we had we had. Uh, we had some tremendous players, and yeah, Mark was was at the end of his career, but he was, um, but he was very. I mean, he's one of the best strikers that ever played the English game. So, you know, and for him to go into a midfield position, you know, it's a, you know, it's, he had play, done it a, a couple of times, but you know, on the finals, you know, Mark Mark Hughes, like a big occasion. That's what he's all about. So. Um, it, it, no, it didn't. It didn't phase. I, I don't think any of us walking out there thought that we'd lose. I mean, Tottenham had a tremendous team, mm. a very talented squad, but uh, but we did too. You know, and and, and like, like I touched on earlier when we we're talking about Duff Jansen and um, and Dunny and and then also the the strikers that we had. I mean, we had uh, Matt Jansen and Andy Cole playing in that game. Yeah. So even if you weren't having a great game, um, you know, as a team you had guys that could score goals out of nothing. And when you have that ability, you always have a chance. And Tristan Wally on Facebook said, ask, wanted me to ask you, how high up the list is the Worthington Cup final of your personal performances? You ended up with the man of the match that day. I think he mentioned that Les Ferdinand probably still has nightmares about you, which I don't think is actually true. Um, but, you know, it still was an amazing performance. Did you, do you look back on that as a real highlight? Yeah, of course. And, and being a promoted team and also at the time, we had a lot of pressure on us. We had games in hand, um, but we had slipped into the bottom three because we, we, because of our cup run. Um, and if, if you remember correctly, we had had a few draws at home and a couple of one nil losses at home that were very, very tight. So going into the cup final, you know, some people say it's a great distraction, but it's also, you know, it's a nervous distraction because you don't want to get too far behind in the points tally and put more pressure on yourselves to stay in the Premier League. So, um, but yes, it was a, uh, it, it was a, it's up there with one of the, uh, one of the highlights um, in a career. I think anytime you, you win a trophy and um, it was, it was a, um, it was a good performance um, uh, by all of us defending. Because when, if a goalkeeper ever says, you know, that he's, he's done it, you know, on his own because he's had to make three or four good saves, you have to think about all the other blocks, all the other clearances, the time the goalkeeper did uh, maybe make a mistake and a defender helped bailed him out. You know, that's what, that's what the game is. Uh, that's what the game is all about. And we, we had a very, very good team defensive performance that day. And I was on a side note, I, I worked with Les at the, down at Tottenham for, um, 
for uh, for three years. So every now and now and again, we'd have a little comment back and forth. But but Les Les himself didn't have too bad a career. That's for sure. No, no, I think he probably got over that quite well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He certainly had a, a fantastic career in the Premier League. Um, one of the top strikers, I think, that especially through that earlier the nineties of the Premier League, he was just a fantastic striker. Anyway, yeah, he was. Um, as you said, we. I'm just going to move away from Rovers slightly at this point, just because we obviously we won the Wavens Cup in 2002, and obviously it was also a very big event in the summer of 2002. Uh, you were no, US number one by this stage, and you, you played the World Cup in um, Japan and Korea. Um, how do you look back on that? Would you say that was kind of the peak of your international career, or was that a tournament that you really enjoyed playing in? Uh, yeah, very much so. And you know, I had um, battled uh, to become the number one for years, and uh, we had a really good squad in two thousand two. A uh, tough group with Portugal at the uh, one of the host countries with uh, Korea and Poland. Who uh, any qualifier out of Europe is always tough, and um, and saved. Um, I believe in the uh, first in the first round, saved two penalties, um, one against Korea and one against Poland, and um, yeah, it was a special time. And we actually we against Germany, we were the better we were the better team, and, and should have really really won um, on the day. And uh, Hugh Dallas, the referee, missed a, a handball and should have been a penalty and a red card for us. Uh, you know that would have brought us back uh, going in. One one possibly extra time and up a man. So we had a we had a very good run. And yeah, that was the that was the pinnacle and that was that was pretty much enough for me on the international scene at that time because I was I think I was thirty thirty well, two maybe and I wanted to extend um my uh my club career and the flights back and forth were beginning to be a big toll. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, that was I played one more game, I think after that. I was away in Poland in a friendly and uh yeah, so 2002 was pretty much the the culmination of the international uh, international career. Yeah, Jack Yerkes on Facebook t- asked me to ask you about your international career, and hopefully, Jack, that answers that that question for you. That very memorable for Brad's play for the US in that tournament, and I agree. Kind of, the US had a fantastic team then, and it was good to see uh, a Blackburn player really getting quite deep into the tournament. And I know I actually spoke to uh, a Blackburn fan from Chicago on a recent podcast, and he mentioned your performance and also Damien Duff's performance, because Ireland also did well um, mm. in that World Cup, as, as reasons why he then started sporting Blackburn Rovers. So um, your influence converting a few uh, Americans to our cause, which is always good to, to hear. Um, nice. Going back to Rovers then, um, you mentioned we qualified for Europe quite a lot in, in that period that you were with us. Always special to have European nights, of course. Um, can we touch upon the Celtic tie? It's probably the, the bigger, the, one of the bigger ties that we had in Europe because um, we never really had a deep run, unfortunately. But this was, I mean, I, w- I was reading in research for this, for talking to you. I read the report on The Guardian, the live stream, and they were just, it was just Blackburn attack, Blackburn attack, Blackburn attack at Celtic Park. And yeah. what, is that what you remember from that tie as well? Or, or yeah, we played, yeah, we played, it's funny. So Martin O'Neill was, uh, was the manager at the time. I played for him at Villa and we had a chat about it. Um, we, we played uh, with losing 1-0. We played about as well as you could play up, up at Parkett. Um, and we just couldn't score. And they scored on, I think it was a corner. It was either free kick or corner. Um, and they scored, and we did. We played really well on the day. Um, and it was just one of those things. And then it was it was a shame um, uh, early on in the game at uh, back at Ewood, um, uh, Shorty. I think it was Shorty. He slipped, and I slipped, um, and we found ourselves down um, uh, a one nil early. And then we were we were chasing. Yeah, it was yeah, very, very good team. And they were good going forward and but that, that was a tremendous tie and that was that was really looking back on it. That was one of the best games that we had played. Um and we lost. <laughs> I mean yeah, sometimes it happens. Um you know, David, but Thompson, they, uh, David Thompson coming from Coventry and his he was our member watching the game, he was outstanding that day. And mm-hmm. And both Cole and Janssen started on the bench, which I'd forgotten until I reread the transcript. We had Edgar Lost instead and Dwight York up front. 
um, at first, and then Cole came on. But yeah, like you said, I think John Hartson won the header at the corner and it got cleared off the line and it just fell to Hart Larson, maybe? It fell to somebody and just... Uh, yeah, what a killer. Because Sutton was there at the time as well, right? Sutton played with the other thing to the second right. <laughs> so. so. Anyway, yeah, but amazing European nights. And, and we had a very good team. We've already mentioned a few of the strikers that we have, but who else stands out for you from your time at Rovers when we are in the Premier League as, as just top players that, you, that you're privileged to have played with? Uh, we, had, we had a lot of good players. I hate having to single them single them out you know two, <laughs> yeah. guys, two, two, two guy two guy was exceptional um i thought duffler was exceptional um i thought um you know having uh henning and shorty uh ryan nelson chris samba um to have any any of those center backs in front of me um absolutely brilliant um you know they could very very powerful all brave all all strong um, you know, it, um, and l- like I had said with the John Williams and Tom Finn, they always allowed us to have a goal scorer, and that's what you need. Yeah. So Benny McCarthy was very good goal scorer. Um, Coley and Yorkie, really good goal scorers. Um, Matt Jansen, really good goal scorer. Roca Santa Cruz, good player, good goal scorer. Um, you know, so, and Craig Craig Bellamy as well. I mean, he did he did a great job when Mark Hughes brought him in. So it, it, we had. Um, when you have a, a bit of resilience and um, uh, to your team, you know, and I haven't even mentioned Morton Gams Patterson. He had a few really good years with the with the club. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a tremendous left foot on him. You know, we we just had it. We had a solid team that was hard to play against. And I remember um, when when I left and went to Villa and uh, Big Sam took over. Oh, that was a hard team to play against. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe I, I, it doesn't matter to me what people think about you know, what the football looks like, yeah. that was hard to play against. It, it, you know, every free kick, ball's bombing into the box with massive guys coming and attacking it and hard to head away, hard to punch, hard to catch. It was, um, it, it was difficult. So, you know, there's some, there's some good, really good, talented players. And Dunny, Dunny is up there as well. You know, it, it, a, lot, a lot of really good players. Um, yeah, so there's no way that I can to... pick just one. No, of course not. And, um, you, uh, whenever you ask people this, like, you're always going to forget one or two. And I know you'll probably go away from this later on and think, well, why didn't I mention this player and that player? But you're right. And that was the glory of kind of being a Blackburn supporter at that time. And I remember it well that we had a plethora of players who could, um, and people on the bench who could come on and, and change games, which was fantastic for us. Um, you yeah. signed contract extensions for us in 2006 and 2008. Uh, but then left in the summer of 2008. Now, we've had, as you can, I, I asked for questions um, from the fans. And you can imagine there's a couple of questions asking us wh- why you left. So Adam Leach on Facebook asking you to spill the beans. Um, Bruce Jackson asking, why did he really leave? Was it to do with the soccer schools, to do with Paul Ince? Um, Ashley Marsden also asking the main reason for leaving. So I'll just kind of okay. leave it there and put All that right. to you. All right, let's get let's get the truth. We'll get the truth out there. Yeah. Um, it when when I spoke with uh, yeah, first of all, it had zero to do with Paul Ince. Paul Ince um, and I were teammates at Liverpool, and we actually used we lived quite close to one another, and we used to carpool in together um, from time to time. So it had absolutely nothing to do with uh, Paul Ince. Paul um, actually was um, was a facilitator of the move. When all said and done, he just wanted to make sure that another goalkeeper was um, was being brought into the club to, to replace before before I left. I had a relationship with um, with John Williams, um, and I we always used to um, speak about if the club was a was a selling club. And he always he always said, um, you know, the club might be for sale, but um, you know everything has to be perfect. And um, Mark Hughes had just gone to Man City, and Martin O'Neill was looking for a goalkeeper at um, at uh, Aston Villa. And um, I had been contacted by agents about this, and I contacted John Williams, and I said um, that there are a couple of um, you know clubs that are interested. Now, keep in mind, they would have had to go through John, so I didn't know figures and things of that nature first. I said, but I just want to know, are we selling club or 
how are we still going to move things forward? And he said, Brad, unfortunately, we are actively trying to sell the club. And, and at that time, you know, this little, little like chinks in the armor had started to develop, um, you know, and I started to see it, it, a few things around the club. Um, and it was not something that one person um, could prop up. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, it was one of those things. I think when you look at the history, I, I made the right decision. I, I had the right feelings about the club. Um, so it, again, it was not something that I necessarily woke up and said, I, I desperately have to leave Blackburn Rovers. That that's not the case at all. But, um, I did feel, and I got a feeling that the club was not moving in the, uh, the same direction that I wanted to be a part of. And I asked, uh, John that if a good fee came in and keep in mind, I was 37 years of age. Um, that um, I would like them to take the offer seriously. And I think they ended up getting like 2.75 million for a 30, for a 37 year old. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good fee. You have to say. Um, you. Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and that's, that's the truth. That's the truth of the, of the matter. So um, it, it, you know, it was no, believe me, no animosity whatsoever. Um, you know, maybe some towards me, um, but it was just a feeling that I had and it, it, I just didn't feel that the club was going to be, um, going to be going forward. And as you say, kind of history proves you kind of correct in your assertions. You, you moved to Aston Villa, played, I think in every league game that you could do for, for Villa. Cause this was in the midst of your still, um, amazing record, no, consecutive number of appearances for in the Premier League. So you played every game for Villa you, you and you must have been 40 moving on to Tottenham Hotspur at that point as their number one as well. So you must have been pleased to kind of command the attention of such a big club. Yeah, it, it did. And I would have been, you know, if, um, you know, uh, if the, not so, not so much a personal contract offer, if, um, if the, if the story was different and John said, um, well, again, you know, if we sell, it's going to be to the right person, the right price. And we're still going to purchase strikers. We're still going to purchase this set. You know, everything's going to be status quo. I'm staying on board. Tom's staying on board You know, all that stuff. Then I probably wouldn't have looked to go, but that just, it wasn't the case. And, but by the way, at no time, I mean, John said to me, openly he's like brad this kind of blows me away like this is big like I, i'd never planned on you going mm. you know and 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 i said yeah i understand that but i would like you to i'd like you to um to listen to it um if if at all possible um you know to the to the offer so you know it was a it was a shame that's for sure it was not something that uh you know that i was openly over the moon with but um I think it was the right thing to do at at the time. Yeah, and, and obviously we've had a lot of people, you know, just wanted to reiterate that they they, they love you, and um, they were obviously very sad when you did decide to leave. But I think people can also understand. We can see, we know from now from history that the direction of the club did start to change. Oh, of course. I, I kept track of um, I kept track of everything, and yes, I was very disappointed when they went down. I was very disappointed to, to see that they haven't been able to uh, promote. I like everything about it has been, uh, you know, has been, uh, you know, di disappointing um, because it's a club that I I remember. Yes, I joined it in the championship, but I remember as a uh, as a Premier League club. And that's, um, you know, and, and for me, it should be in the Premier League. Other people can argue that, but that, for me, it's a Premier League club. Hopefully we will be again soon. Um, just a, a few... Yes, I, I, I truly hope so. Uh, just a few bits and pieces to wrap up with. Um, a few questions from other people. Um, Chris, Chris Lambert um, on Facebook, he's a big fan of the New England Patriots and wants to know a little bit about what it's like working for Robert Kraft. Um, uh, Robert and Jonathan were both, um, were both very, very nice people. Um, you know, Jonathan was more hands-on on the micro day-to-day -day, um, and, and really interested in what was going on with New England. 
Um, Robert was, uh, was obviously more macro and working on the training ground and working on, um, and working on uh, the stadium in New England, but um, I mean, very, very successful people and very, um, very good people to work with. And did, how did you find management? Is it something that you're still hoping to continue with? I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there were parts, uh, obviously, I, I didn't feel that I got um, uh, backed like I, uh, like I should have. I don't think I got the time that I should have because they, they wanted a lot of change. Yeah. But then when it all came down to it, they didn't, they didn't want to wait for the change and so you change a lot quick it's really difficult stuff um so uh you know i hope they have a bruce arena in there who's incredibly um, experienced now um you know and i hope i hope they get everything that they um uh, that they want you know I, a great learning experience um for me um it made me think a lot about if i go into management again exactly you know a few more questions to ask uh uh, and what, then what I would want, but um, you know, you never say never in, in football. But um, but it is a um, but it was uh, a great learning experience, nonetheless. Yeah, and if a, a lot of people have asked if a coaching position became available at Ewood, would would that interest you? Tony, uh, Tony's in the job, not me. I don't. Uh, well, I don't maybe openly... not, not necessarily head coach, of course. Uh, just maybe a, a goal. I don't know if you're interested in being a goalkeeper coach or whether you just have your. Yeah. Well, well, if I, if, if let's put it this way, if a role ever came up um, at Blackburn, I would I would undoubtedly look at it. Uh, you know, there we have. Uh, I have a great relationship with the fans. Uh, likewise, um, you know, with. Um, just with the club itself. So yes, uh, of course, I would wish not to do something like that. Um, so then, the as I said to you before, we started recording a kind of general things that all Rovers fans love to, to find out. And I'm sure you've been asked these before, but I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you them anyway. Um, who are the best central defenders that you played behind at Rovers? Oh. That's a tough one. I'm going to go with the, the four of them. They were all, they're so different in combo, but uh, Nelly, Nelly, uh, Chrissy Samba, Henning, and Shorty, you know, all at a different time. You know, playing in the championship isn't easy, you know, so, you know, big, big Chris and Nelly doing the championship, well, and that would have been a, a different haul for them, you know, and you have to give a lot of respect to uh, Shorty for, uh, for doing that. Absolutely. I know that when I spoke to Craig Short, he said um, he saw Ryan Nelson walking through the doors and thought, yep, it's probably time for me to go to go now. <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds like Shorty. Shorty was, was tremendous. And he was another one who was great at changing up. Yeah, definitely. I definitely got that from speaking to him. Um, favourite game or save that you made at the club? I, I think the favourite game was Arsenal away. Um I think we got out shots, you know, tw- mid twenties to one, and we won two one because they had an own goal. <laughs> I think, uh, and they had such a good team back then. That that's up there. Beating Burnley's always up there. Worthington Cup's always up there. And I got to tell you, promotions are up there. So you look at the saves that happened in those games. Um, but I, I mean, there was a, there was quite a few saves on that day in uh, the the Arsenal game. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe 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 that one. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I might have recorded that the, the match the day of that one and just rewatched. watched They had a big section on you in that in that game and what a fantastic performance. Anyway, uh, who was the best finisher in training? People are always loving to know the that, that one. Uh, best finisher? Um, I mean, Yanni, when he cut it across you, his left foot was good. Coley was a good finisher um, and he got into the spot very, very quickly. Um, uh, Yorkie, Yorkie, decent, Bellamy, decent. No, I'd, I'd say Coley and Yanni. Yeah. I, I, I just had a thought that Mike Hansen would probably come out on top there. Just an idea that I had. Um, right then, so some of these questions you can decline to answer if you wish. Some interesting ones. Uh, Matthew Regan from Facebook asks, uh, why did you adopt the accent of every club you've ever played for? I'm from Ohio. I don't even realize, like, now, I don't even know if I'm talking with, uh, like, if I have a little twang or not. I've been back in the States for a while, so a lot of people say that my accent's completely gone away. Um, but I, I don't think I ever got a Scouse accent. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think I did. <laughs> that, that I will say. 
Um, Jack Anthony on Facebook, um, he asks you why you've never come back for a photo. You said you were just going to get your water bottle filled. I think he feels maybe he's still standing outside of Ewood or something like that for, <laughs> for over a decade. Tell, tell, him, tell him I'm still coming. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on waiting, Jack, um, is the mes message. And then, bizarrely, two people ask the same sort of question, and I don't know why. So Torbay Rover on Twitter asked what your favourite meal was. And also, somebody else asked, what your favourite meal deal of all time is? I don't really know. Um, wow, I don't, um, I don't really have one anymore. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe salmon. Grilled salmon, I guess. I don't know. Well, there you go, Toby Robert. I'm not quite sure. What <laughs> um, Simon Fitzpatrick, I, I put this one in there myself because I've become obsessed. Who was more important than the Chicago Bulls, Scotty Pippen or Dennis Rodman? I mean, Michael Jordan was the main guy. Um, I'd, pro I'd probably say Pippen because you have to, the way they played, they had to outscore the opponent. Um, but Rodman was so good defensively. But I'd probably say Pippen. Mm. Well, Scottie Pippen. Did you watch the, um, the Jordan thing on Netflix? I watched, I watched, yeah, I watched some of it. Just last thing then, um, you say you kind of keep hope that Rovers are going to get back into the Premier League sometime soon. Um, what do you mm -hmm. think of the job that Tony Mowbray's done and, and where do you think the club are at now? Do you think we're kind of getting ready to get back into the Premier League? Yeah, it, it seems, um, you know, through uh, through the course of last season, this season, they're getting like just about just about there, um, you know, and then and then it falls short a little bit. But I, I think Tony... Um, Tony uh, for a long, long time, um, and I think he's he's a, a terrific manager, and um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, he can find that uh, that correct recipe to uh, to get up, and it becomes more and more difficult as the money keeps going into the Premier League with the parachute payments of the teams that drop down. It it becomes uh, more and more of an uphill battle every year, but hopefully, he can get it sorted. And are you coming back to Ewood anytime soon? A lot of people want to see you and. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. At the start of next season, whenever that's going to be um, in the uh, in the fall, sometime I'll 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 make sure that I uh, that I come back. Yeah, that'll be. I amazing. need to, I need to get back when travel's safe and everything's good. Um, yeah. I'll get uh, I'll get over to even. Absolutely, everything has to be safe and, and in the right situation worldwide really for that to happen but we, we obviously would love to see you david Car david carrington on facebook says he misses you and your mr tickle sized arms um ian robinson and chris Aspinall just say thanks for the memories and uh, for myself on behalf of of the rest of the rovers fans who didn't get in touch but thank you so much for the time and dedication and and everything that you gave to the club um you're the best goalkeeper that we've ever had i think it's fair to say and um yeah, just thank you for your time as well, talking to us tonight. Well, tell everyone, I was, it was my pleasure um, to play for the club and represent such a wonderfully uh, run club at the time. And uh, I uh, sincerely hope that you get back up to the Premier League and I sincerely hope uh, there's a lot of good times to come because it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful eight years of, uh, of my life then. So Blackburn Rovers is still your club then? Yes, that's uh, my, my email address says it all. I'm not going to give it away, but no, I'm not going to give it away. But my email address would, would, would give it away. Yeah, you'd probably get a lot of spam um, off the back of this cast. But um, <laughs> just thank you, thank you again, Brad. And it's been uh, it's nice of you to give so much of your time tonight. And um, hopefully, we will see you at Ewood soon. Great, thanks, Andy. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Girl, so alluring. Well, what incredible insight we got from Brad Friedel there. Um, again, just like to thank him for his amount of time that he spent with us, just over an hour. Um, some fantastic bits of information. It's not. It's really um, forthcoming of him to tell us the whole truth about the reason why he left. And I think you know, as Rovers fans, especially in retrospect, we can kind of see what led to that decision and and it was it was definitely the right call for him um obviously it probably contributed in a way to our lack of stability at that time and eventually to the decline that we that we then suffered but at least he was honest about his reasons and and that's all we can ask for really
And it was also really interesting to hear about the way that the club was run back in, in Brad's day. And we can only hope that we've kind of got back on that kind of even keel with the team that we've got in place at the moment. Um, hope you all enjoyed that. I know that we didn't talk that much about maybe the Premier League era and things like that, but there's all, there's only a limited amount of time and I got as much out of him as, as I could, I felt at the time. Apologies, uh, especially at the start, I was probably a bit starstruck, but we got there in the end and, and hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you have any more recommendations for people who we, we should try and get in touch with to try and do a, a podcast with, then we're definitely all ears. Remember, please, to subscribe to um, Rover's Chat on Twitter, um, on Facebook and via Instagram and YouTube as well. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks. Bye. That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.